Section 71 of Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hope Force One. Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1, Section 71. Early Christian Art by W. R. Leatherby. We must now turn from these smaller objects to the beginnings of Christian architecture. The first meeting places of Christians were the private houses where they came together for the breaking of bread. In the recognitions of Clement, 2nd century, it is told that while St. Peter was at Antioch, Theophilus, a leading citizen, turned his house into a basilica, that is, a place of assembly. Some of the early acts of the martyrs tell how they left their houses to the church, and so it came about that certain churches were associated with the names of their founders, as the churches of Clement, Pudens, and Cecilia in Rome. Basilica was a word in very general use, very much like our word hall, and there is no direct relation between the basilicas of justice and Christian churches. More true it is that the greater private houses had triclinia and halls which were themselves called basilicas, and it is probable that these were actually used for the assemblies of Christians. It is possible further that there may be some sympathetic relation between the developed church plan and the basilica of justice, for the scene of the heavenly temple in the apocalypse appears to be cast into the form of such a basilica. The origins of church fabrics have been worked out in great detail in regard to the possible prototypes found in private dwellings. But so far as architectural arrangement goes, it is looking for elaborate explanation where but little is required. The basilican type was the appropriate and popular plan for any place of meeting. It is found in temples as those of Apollo at Cortina, which had an apse and internal pillars. In the Isle of Samotras was the temple of the Kabiri. This was a rectangular plan. It had a portico with an atrium. The interior was divided into three aisles. At the end was a semicircular niche. In Rome itself, the temples of Venus and Rome are of the same form except that there is no subdivision of their interiors and they were surrounded entirely by the enclosure instead of having an atrium. The temple at Jerusalem and many Hellenistic temples were in the same way isolated in a court surrounded by a colonnade. Several of the Christian churches built after the peace of the church were also surrounded by similar colonnaded courts entered through an outer portico. Orientation certainly derives from temple arrangement, and many of the earliest churches were built with their entrances facing the east, as was Herod's temple. Again, the foundations of several synagogues which have been discovered show a division of the interior into three or five aisles, with three entrance doors in the facade. A description of the synagogue at Alexandria calls it a basilica, and speaks of its colonnades. It probably had an apse as well. The earliest special places of assembly were the holy sites and the burial chapels of the martyrs. The subterranean chapels in the catacombs, already mentioned, 
belonged to this class. Probably the first specifically Christian buildings were materia, tomb chambers, usually round, which were practically memorial churches. During the course of the 3rd century, a large number of churches were built in Syria, Asia Minor, Armenia and North Africa. An ancient church at Edessa is said on good authority to have existed before 201, but Edessa was then a Christian city. A document of 303 mentions the house where the Christians assemble, together with its library and triclinium, at Erta in North Africa. And another document of 305 says that as the basilicas had not been repaired, the bishops met in a private house. An episcopal election, however, was held in Area Martyrum in Casa Maggiore. And in inscription from the tomb of Bishop Eugenius of Laodicea Combusta has lately been published. He held the see immediately after the cessation of Diocletian's persecution and speaks of rebuilding the whole of his church from its foundations, together with the colonnaded court which surrounded it. Eusebius speaks of such rebuilding as general, but says that the new churches were larger and more splendid than those that had been destroyed. Of the churches built after the imperial adoption of Christianity, only a few of the most famous can be mentioned here. In and near Jerusalem, three churches were built in association with the sacred sites of the Holy Sepulchre, the Nativity and the Ascension. All three are mentioned in 333 as basilicas by a pilgrim from Bordeaux. At the Holy Sepulchre there was a memorial above the tomb called the Anastasis and a basilica called the Great Church, or Martyrium, both included in a precinct called New Jerusalem. According to Eusebius, Constantine first adorned the sacred cave, the chief point of the whole, with choice columns and other works. The Great Church rose high within a large court surrounded by porticos. It was lined within with marble, the ceiling was carved and gilt woodwork, the roof was covered with lead. The body of the church was divided by rows of columns into five ales. It was entered from the cast by three doors. And opposite to these, continuous Eusebius, was the hemisphere, the crown of the whole work, containing twelve columns bearing bowls of silver, probably lamps. This hemisphere would seem to be the dome building over the tomb which first was spoken of as the chief point of the whole. That the Anastasis and Basilica were separate buildings is made clear by the account of Etheria, formerly known as St. Sylvia, who, about 380, described the sacred sites. The churches at Bethlehem and the Mount of Olives were, says Eusebius, built over the two sacred caves, one church at the scene of the Saviour's birth, the second on the mountain top in memory of his ascension. These two beautiful edifices were dedicated at the two holy caves. At Bethlehem, a noble basilican church still exists, which many hold to be the original edifice. Although there is some conflicting evidence that it was either rebuilt or repaired by Justinian. It is 180 feet long by 85 feet wide. 
the head of the church over the grotto of the nativity is cruciform, and the nave is divided into five ales. The columns are marble with Corinthian capitals, having crosses upon their abbacy. The walls above are carried by level beams instead of arches. To the west was an extensive atrium. A point in favour of the antiquity of this great church is that the historian Socrates says that the church at the grotto of the nativity was not inferior to that of the new Jerusalem. Constantine's church on the Mount of Olives is generally understood to be the circular edifice which is known from later descriptions and which occupied the site of the present church. The pilgrim Etheria, however, says that the church was at Eleona, on the mount from which the Lord ascended, and in which church is that cave, Spelunca, in which the Lord taught the apostles. From thence pilgrims ascended with hymns to the Imbomon, the actual place from which the Lord ascended. Now Eusebius, although he speaks of the church as on the summit, says that in it was the cave where Christ taught his disciples the sacred mysteries. Saint Eucarius, a later pilgrim, about 440, says that there were upon the Mount of Olives two celebrated churches, one where Christ taught and the other on the site of the Ascension. The cave site is known to be below the summit, and remains of buildings have been found there. From this it seems that Constantine built a church at the cave, and probably a memorial on the summit. He also built large churches as martyr memorials at Constantinople, where that of the apostles is described as high, covered with marble and adorned with gilding, and situated in a court having porticos all round and chambers opening from them. It was completed about 337. As rebuilt by Justinian, it was a pronounced cross, and there seems to be no doubt that it had its form from the first. Gregory of Nicianzus speaks of the earlier building as the splendid church of the apostles, divided in the four parts of the arms of a cross. The account of Eusebius that it was very high and was covered above with gilded brass which reflected the sun to distance suggests a dome or a tower at the crossing. That this church was cruciform in shape is confirmed by the fact that the Church of the Apostles built by St. Ambrose in 382 at Milan was also a cross. It has been rebuilt and is now St. Nazario Grande, but it is still cruciform. An existing building which may represent the whole series is the little church of S.S. Nazario and Celso, the mausoleum of Gala Placidia at Ravenna which has four equal arms and a tower in the midst. At Antioch, Constantine rebuilt the metropolitan church, which Eusebius describes as unique in size and beauty, and built in the form of an octagon. It was very high, and decorated with a profusion of gold, so that it became to be called the Golden Church. Around it was an enclosure of a great extent. The great church of Tyre was also built within a large walled enclosure, Peribolus, having a great foregate, Propylon, toward the east. Within the atrium was a fountain, and the church was entered through 
three doors, the center one of bronze. The pavement was marble, and it was roofed with cedar. The interior was divided into aisles by rows of columns, stoe. The altar place, thus Asterion. The sea Asterion was screened by latticework. Other churches were erected at Nicomedia and at Mamre. The former is described as great and splendid. Such, says Eusebius, were the most noble of the sacred buildings erected by the by the emperor. The emperor. He only refers to those at the holy sites at the emperor's own city of Nicomedia, and in the city which was called after his own name. He does not mention even his own metropolitan church of Caesarea, nor does he mention the churches in Rome, much less those that arose by hundreds all over the empire. One of these is that of Bishop Eugenius, referred to above, and further evidence as to them is frequently being brought to light. Wigand has lately uncovered the foundations of an early church at Miltus, which may be of Constantine's time. The Bishop of Rome built the great basilica of St. Peter over the tomb of the Apostle. The interior had five avenues between colonnades crossed at the end by a transept, from which opened the apse raised high above the crypt, which contained the Apostle's tomb. Screening the apse were twelve most beautiful columns of a spiral form, carved on the surface with Amorini climbing amidst vines. In front of the entrances, which were at the cast, was the fine atrium, with a fountain in the centre. The outer gates and the façade, as well as the apse and the triumphal arc of the interior, were subsequently adorned with mosaics. The church of St. Paul, outside the walls, was also of the Constantinian age. But the first church was not of the great scale of that one which still exists in a restored condition today. Its foundations were exposed in 1835. It was so small that the length of the church was almost exactly the same as the width of the present transept. It had its entrances towards the east, and the atrium abutted on the Ostia road. When the great basilica was built later, its orientation was reversed, but its altar, as is usually the case, yet stands over the site of the older one. There are still three buildings in Rome, which date from this early period, the Lateran Baptistery, the Basilica of Santa Agnes, and the attached tomb church of Santa Costanza. Santa Agnes is a most beautiful type of church, having arcaded galleries within, around the two sides and the end opposite the apse. It is sunk into the ground to the level of the catacombs in which the saint was buried, and these are entered from a door in the side wall, the descent into the church being by a long flight of steps. The church is nine bays long, and the columns are of marble. The apse is lined with marble and porphyry, and in the midst is the bishop's throne. Above, in the conch, is a fine mosaic, but not so ancient. Close by, but at a higher level of the natural ground, stands Santa Costanza, 
built about 354. It is circular, with an inner ring of columns which supported a dome. The diameter is about 76 feet, and the columns are only about 18 feet high. They are mostly of grey granite. The walls were sheeted with marble, and the annular ale has its walls covered with mosaic, chiefly of pattern work, but in some places there are vintage sheens, with Amorini gathering the grapes and making wine. The most splendid feature of the early churches was the mosaic work which from the Constantinian age adorned their walls, and especially the conscious of their apses. Such mosaics were generally formed of small cubes of glass, variously coloured and gilded. At the same time, mosaics of marble of the more ordinary Roman kind were used for floors. The glass mosaics and even gilt tesserae had been employed under the Roman Empire. Glass is found so far west as Cyrenster, where small parts of a floor are of that material. Gold mosaic has been found on the vaults of the baths of Caracalla and of the Palatine Palace, also on the vaults of the baths Caracalla and of the Palatine Palace, also in North Africa. Quite recently, a mosaic having gilt cubes have been found at Pompeii. It is next to certain that, like the vessels of gilded glass, this kind of mosaic came from the factories of Egypt. There is, in the British Museum, a small glass plaque, decorated with a flowering plant of several colours fused into its substance. This was found in London, while similar pieces, now at South Kensington, have lately been discovered at Benessa in Egypt. The earliest existing Christian mosaics are those of the vaults of the Round Church of Santa Costanza in Rome. Besides the mosaics mentioned above, there are two small, much injured, conscious, which display figure subjects. In one of them, God the Father gives, gives the ancient law to Moses, and in the other, St. Peter receives the new law from the hand of Christ. The whole of the central dome was once covered with mosaic, but of this only a slight drawing is now preserved. The next mosaic in point of date, but more interesting and beautiful as a work of art, fills the apse of the Basilica of Santa Pudenziana. This church, not far from the better known Santa Maria Maggiore, in the ground itself a mark of a primitive foundation. The apse mosaic forms part of a work undertaken about 390. On it, Christ sits enthroned in the midst of a semicircle of apostles, while behind St. Peter and St. Paul stand two female figures robed in white and holding crowns. These are interpreted as the churches of the circumcision and of the Gentiles. Behind Christ, on a mountain, stands a vast jeweled cross and on the sky are the four symbolic beasts. This noble work still retains much of classical grace. The fixity characteristic of Byzantine art is entirely absent. The color, also, is fair and extremely beautiful. 
gold being used to illuminate the highlights of the draperies and other parts, but not in broad fields as in the later mosaics. It is desirable to include here some account of early Christian art in Britain. The discovery, about twelve years ago, of the perfect plan of a small early basilican church at Silchester makes more certain than anything else had done the existence of recognized Christian communities in British cities. The Silchester church occupied an important position near the civil basilica, but in itself was quite small. It had a nave about ten feet wide and aisles five feet. The length, including the apse, which was at the west end, was about thirty feet. The aisles had a small additional projection at the end next to the apse, which made the whole plan cruciform. At the cast end was a narthex, and in front of that a court with a fountain in the centre. The position of the altar in the apse was marked by a square of pattern work in the mosaic floor. This pattern, of the chessboard type, is in quarters, what heralds call quarterly. A very accurate model of this important relic is now in the Reading Museum. It is well known that the XP monogram appeared on a mosaic floor found about a century ago at Frampton and figured by license. The monogram occurred in the centre of a band of ornament which separated an apse from a square compartment. License thought that the general style of the ornaments of the apse seemed inferior to that of the square part, and spoke of the monogram as inserted. The last writer on Christian antiquities in Britain, in Cabral's Great Dictionary, says that the monogram must have been inserted at some time not earlier than the middle of the 4th century. Lysons tried to suggest, being interested in the Roman art point of view, that the payment was pre-Constantinian, but he himself remarked that the pattern on a neighboring area occurred also on the vault mosaics of Santa Costanza at Rome, a work of the second half of the 4th century. This is probably the date of the whole of the Frampton mosaics, and a consideration of the sequence of the turns of the scroll ornament in the middle of which the monogram was found, shows that the scroll work and the symbols certainly formed part of one design. The only other subject figured on the floor of the apse, excepting patterns, was a single vase or chalice in the middle. At the Roman villa at Shedworth, again the ADXP monogram, had been found cut in the foundation stones of some steps. In the museum on the site, is, there is also a small plain stone cross. Mr. Romilly Allen suggested that two other Roman payments found in this country may possibly be Christian. That at Harpal, which has a circle in the middle, divided into eight parts by radial lines, so as to resemble one form of the monogram of Christ, and that at Horkstow, which has some small red crosses in the decoration. The later not only had the crosses, but at the centre is Orpheus playing the lyre, a subject frequently found in early Christian art. The writer in Cabral's dictionary has independently come to the conclusion that this mosaic is Christian. 
it has passed unrecognized, he says, but we have no doubt of its Christian origin. Now, if this mosaic with the catacomb subject of Orpheus and the beasts is Christian, is it not probable that the several other British mosaics which display the same subjects are also works of Christian art? All these mosaics probably date from about 350, when the church must have been a recognized institution in every city. And it is difficult to think that the subject, once Christianized, should have been employed in another sense. An Orpheus pavement was found at Littlecote Park, Ramsbury, at the center of a triapsidal apartment resembling the Roman Christian burial chapels. Yet another pavement, at Storton, had a quartered design practically identical with that of the altar space of the Silchester Basilica. The subject of Orpheus is known to have occurred four times in the catacombs, but none of these appear to have been later than the third century, and it has indeed been suggested that the subject was taken over in profane art, especially in Gaul and Britain, but this is unproven, and in any case we get the Christian influence. Several British pavements are known in which ornamental cross-forms appear. It has been said that these cannot be Christian, as the cross symbol did not come into general use at so early a time. But the many instances which have now been found contradicting this view reopen the question. With those Roman objects having crosses which have been found in England, may be mentioned the chain bracelet with an attached cross. A comparison with figure 1606 in Cabral's dictionary makes it almost certain that it is Christian. Perhaps the most important Christian documents found in Britain are ingots of pewter found in the Thames at Battersea, which are stamped several times over with the XP monogram, surrounded by the words Spes in Deo. These look like official marks. When a full history of early Christian art in Britain is written, it will be seen that it shared in the great movement of the time, although, of course, it was second to Gaul and third to Italy. End of section 71. Recording by Hopeful Swan. End of Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1, J.B. Burry.